Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. I'm Tricia Chardon, Queensland PD Coordinator. I had the pleasure of talking with Dr Julie Chikiro, Speech Pathology Australia's 2019 National Tour presenter. Our topic now is paediatric dysphagia, the multifactorial aspects of fussy eating. Julie, why would speech pathologists be involved in fussy eating? Trisha, I had had that question myself um, many years ago when I was working in a clinic um, that I had opened to look at Uh, people of all ages with feeding and swallowing difficulties and we found that we were seeing an awful lot of typically developing children who were fussy eaters and these parents were quite often at their wits end they knew they they wanted to do the right thing they wanted their children to be eating a variety of um, different types of foods um, but were really struggling with how to make that happen Um, Some of them had been to see a dietitian and had a complete plan of what their child needed to be eating, but they just could not uh, make it happen. So, you know, from our perspective, we have obviously an awful lot of skill in oral motor development. Um, And so looking at that infant feeding and the, you know, from first solids through to um, early chewing development through to rotary chewing development as well. So quite often in the clinic, we were seeing children at about 10 months of age who had failed to progress to their purees and the other big um, time frame that we were seeing children was around about 13-14 months of age where they were struggling to progress over to um, lumpy solids for example. So knowing those two little areas um, made things a bit easier as well. So quite often um, they just the parents don't know where to start and there could be a whole range of different reasons why the child could be fussy so I guess we have a role in looking at that oral motor development to make sure that that's all on track and then looking to see what other elements might be feeding into some of the problems that they're having but certainly um, parents are you know about half of all two-year-olds when you talk to parents Um, parents will describe them as fussy eaters and one of the the things that we say to them is as much as possible don't label the child as a fussy eater because they wear that as a kind of a a sticker of to be proud of so uh, we try and avoid that language in trying to encourage children to try new foods Um, but that can be really challenging if the child's never learnt for example, the tongue lateralisation to get the solids across to their molars. So they may really be struggling because they've got a solid within their mouth that they're trying to use their uh, their front teeth, their central incisors to chew down. And really those teeth were intended for biting purposes rather than chewing. So teaching children how to lateralise across to the molars so that they can chew. Sometimes for some typically developing children, it can be as simple as that. Quite often speech pathologists will obviously see children who have many more complications or, um, and I'm thinking now of children um, who've been born prematurely, quite often those children will have um, feeding issues with liquids and also go on to have um, some difficulties with transitioning to solids and then moving across to the different food textures as well. And it can be really helpful for parents, I guess, to be aware that that might be the case. So we don't want to scare them, obviously, but if we can give them some information that, hey, don't be concerned, but please come back. If you notice this, please come back so that they don't feel like they're trying to, to do it all on their own. 
we've got the best chance of ha having children um, have a good diet if they've got really good habits for eating a range of different foods by about four years of age and quite often that comes down to food textures and being able to manage those different food textures rather than taste which is quite often what parents seem to think the issue is. The management of fussy eating is not just about the child is it? No it's definitely not you're very much looking at parents you're looking at the family you're looking at um, family dynamics um, and setting appropriate expectations as well. I think, you know, when you've got parents who come in and, and say, right, um, my son is going on camp for the first time in three weeks' time, and they've been told they're not allowed to take instant noodles with them, but really that's all he eats at home. What am I going to do when I need you to fix this in three weeks' time? Um, I think everyone needs to sort of stop and, and have a think about the fact that this child didn't become a fussy eater or a restricted eater, you know, eater overnight and it's going to take a little bit of time um, for that to happen. So making sure that we set some appropriate expectations there as well. As I say, helping parents to understand that it's not just about taste. Um, I remember um, talking with one child who was not at all keen about strawberries and um, he was about five years old at the time and, and I said to him you know what don't you like about the strawberries is it you know the the colour is it the taste of it or and he said no I don't like the nuts and I said show me where these nuts are and he was pointing to the little seeds so it was the textural properties that were um, were problematic there um, also helping parents to understand that they that the children need at least 10 to 15 exposures to a new food before it, before the child's brain sort of stops going wow that's new how do i process this what are the things i need to do to to be able to chew this and and swallow it for example you know we all have a few different items that we not might not particularly like but generally speaking they're fairly small in number and so just repeated exposures um, to different types and textures of foods can be helpful. And, you know, parents can do that, you know, if they, um, if they go to a family event, they encourage their child to try something from the table. We used to do something with our family where once a month we'd go out for dinner and part of that process was going to a different type of restaurant and we'd talk about steps to trying a new food. So, you know, just touching it or bringing up and smelling it, you know, bringing it up to the, the lips to, um, to feel what that texture was going to be like. Licking it, for example, and then taking a, a tiny little piece and putting it in the mouth. So they're really achievable steps for children. And obviously for typically developing children, that works quite well. But we've also got some information to show that that behavioural stepwise approach also works for children um, with uh, autism, for example, as well. What other things should clinicians be looking for when a child presents as a fussy eater? So this, I guess, is really where we can bring together a lot of our knowledge of physiology um, as well as our oral motor development. So looking, for example, at um, tonsils and adenoids. So that's something that we might not typically think about. Uh, but if you've got a child who comes to the table hungry and starts eating their meal with gusto and then very quickly, you know, sort of starts to push the food away, I'd be starting to look, you know, when you're doing your oromotor exam, have a look inside the child's mouth. Um, sometimes the tonsils, I think parents are aware when they are inflamed um, and when they're infected and children obviously, you know, will present with a sore throat and they really don't want to eat a great deal. 
but enlarged tonsils also present a problem because they restrict the child's airway and mean that the child needs to breathe through their mouth. So that becomes quite challenging, it becomes tiring as well. Um, and quite often the adenoid tissue that's you know, up in the, the nasal cavities uh, is also enlarged at, at the same time. So the child is really trying to oxygenate at the same time that they're trying to eat. If those tonsils are really quite large, it means that the food is also not getting all the way to the back of the molars. So they're more likely to be processing the food more towards the front of their mouth and they may not be chewing effectively. So they might be gagging, for example, and then starting to refuse particular foods. Similarly, we've got children with reflux or, um, or allergies, for example, where there's something else going on, eosinophilic esophagitis, where the child might end up with um, great discomfort during meals um, that's causing them to refuse food. So really making sure that we can look to find out where the problems are um, to work things out. I can give you an example with that tonsils and, and adenoids question. Uh, we had a, a child that came in where um, we ended up doing a, a modified barium swallow to demonstrate the size of the tonsils. Now, we were able to, to do that. You could also do that with a GP with a plain X-ray. Um, I had a lovely letter back from the ear, nose and throat surgeon who said that on his inspection, just using standard inspection procedures before we'd done the modified barium swallow, that the, the tonsils hadn't looked terribly large. However, when he'd gone in to do the operation and remove them, these tons tonsils had extended quite significantly into the pharyngeal space and they were also, they had bits of um, decaying food stuck within them um, that were quite purulent as well. So um, the working together with your ear, nose and throat surgeons was really quite a positive experience. I've also used a portable pulse oximeter, for example, to um, to track as the child's eating um, normally to see what their O2 sats are doing during a meal to see if there are um, some changes happening there, if, if I've noticed that their tonsils are quite enlarged during a, a standard mealtime assessment as well. So these are some of the different things to, to think about. Um, you know, that there could be a range of reasons why children are, are fussy and I think we've got a really valuable role um, in that process and helping to refer children and families on for, uh, for the best outcomes for them so that they can enjoy a, a great diet, have good cognitive abilities, good nutritional abilities and good growth. Thank you, Julie, for sharing this snapshot of issues about the multifactorial issues of fussy eating. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.